Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Um, okay, so I'm just going to do our readings now uh, before Jacko comes and gives us the message. The first is from Psalm 80, and that is on page 919 in the Bibles in the pews. For the director of music, to the tune of the Lilies of the Covenant of Asaph, a psalm. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim. Shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbours and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down, it is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty, make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. And our New Testament reading is from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, 
so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. And this is my command, love each other. Thanks very much, Ellen. Uh, Good morning, everyone. If I don't know who you are, uh, I'm Simon. I am the lead pastor here. People around here call me Jacko. Um, Creatively, my last name's Jackson. We're in Australia, so it's Jacko. Um, So good morning. It's nice to see you this morning. Uh, We are, as Ellen mentioned, in our last of our sermon series or talks in this Jesus According to Jesus um, series, which we've been doing. Again, way back at the beginning of the series, we talked about how we live in a world where people have all kinds of different ideas about who Jesus is and what he did and who he claimed to be and things like that. And yet what we've been hoping to do through this series is listen to who Jesus claims to be by working our way through the seven I am statements that we find in the Gospel of John. Uh, and so we are at the final one today. Um, The one that we're at today is the one you can't see, which is hidden by the screen, which is uh, Jesus where he says, I am the true vine, which is why we had John 15 read out. Um, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open at John chapter 15. That would be a good place to be. Uh, But if you know me and you've been around here long enough, you'll know that I get us talking about a bit of a question uh, as we get rolling together. And so uh, for the next minute or so, I want you to turn to the person next to you and Tell the person which is, we're talking about vines, you know, fruity, grapey vines. We live in South Australia, surrounded by vineyards and wine regions. And whether you're into wine or not, I want you to turn to the person next to you and just say, which is your favourite wine region or vineyard region in South Australia? We've got McLaren, here are my options, right? McLaren Vale, we've got Barossa Valley, we've got Clare Valley a bit further north, and then we've got like the Adelaide Hills. And if you want to go further, that amazing little strip that they call the Coonawarra, um, way down in the southeast. They're your options. Which is your favourite? Turn to the person next to you. Where are you going to go? McLaren Vale, south, further south, Coonawarra, up north. Go, have a chat.
All right, guys, let's come back together. Bit of, uh, just as we come back together, a bit of audience participation. Anyone want to claim their favourite wine region, vines, you know, where you want to go? Anyone? Barossa. Barossa. Classic. You know, no. <laughs> Anyone else? Don't care. There you go. <laughs> Anyone else? Clare Valley. Beautiful. Yep, great. I'm a McLaren Vale person. I just love the, how the water crashes into the vines, all that sort of beautiful coastline, but that's, really, that's pretty much irrelevant. It might make sense as we go through, uh, but how about I pray as we gather together around God's Word this morning? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come again this morning around your Word because we need to hear from you. Father, would you, to some degree, if possible, free us from distractions, things that we need to get done today or tomorrow, free us from those things which would get in the way of us hearing you. Father, our, our minds can so easily be in 10,000 other places, even after half an hour or so of singing and praising you this morning. And so, Father, fix our attention because we need to hear from you. Father, help me to speak clearly and with power. Help me to speak humbly, boldly. And Father, with the ears you've given us, help us to hear, to see with our eyes, and to love with our hearts, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the true manna from heaven, food for the hungry. Unless you feast on him, you have no life in you. Jesus is the light of the world, the pillar of fire in the wilderness, salvation in a dark world. Unless you believe that he is the coming again Messiah, you will die in your sins. Jesus is the gate for the sheep. He is the Passover door, the entryway into God's sheepfold. Unless you come in by Jesus, you are either a thief or a robber. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his flock. He calls them by name. Unless he is your shepherd, he, you will not be safe from wolves and you will not lie down in green pastures. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him will never die. Unless you belong to him, you will not live forever in the age to come. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. There is no other. Unless you know the Son and honour the Son, you neither know the Father or honour the Father. And Jesus is the true vine. He is the one in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. Unless you abide in him, you will be gathered like dead branches thrown into the fire. Seven I am statements in which the Lord Jesus Christ could not make his messianic claims any clearer. And in each one, he not only states who he is, right? He holds out a promise to those who would believe in him and yet also provides a warning to those who would reject him. And this morning, as we come to the seventh of these I am statements, Jesus says, I am the true vine. If 
you've been with us for the last seven weeks or so, we, we've seen that over the past couple of months, Jesus is the embodiment of all these different aspects and symbols of Israel's history. So we saw that Jesus is the bread of life. He's like the manna that God gave Israel in the wilderness. Then we saw that he is the light of the world, like the pillar of fire which led God's people in the night. We saw that Jesus is the gate for the sheep, like the, the pillar, the doorpost, stained with the blood of the, law, of the lamb at the Passover, which meant salvation for all the Israelites. We've already seen, right, how Jesus just fulfills all these symbols and pictures of Israel's history, God's people's history. And yet we see in this final I am statement, Jesus claims not just to be the embodiment of symbols and pictures or parts of Israel's history, but to be the embodiment of Israel, God's people itself. Many times in the Old Testament, God's people are likened actually to a vine or to a vineyard. Um, here's a few examples. They're coming up on the screen. Um, Hosea chapter 10 verses 1 and 2. Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. Yet their heart is deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Or Jeremiah chapter 2. I had planted you like a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt and wild vine? And finally, Isaiah chapter 5. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. There are heaps and heaps and heaps more Bible passages from the Old Testament. But did you hear two themes through those three little excerpts? One, Israel, God's people, are in each instance the Lord's vine or the Lord's vineyard. Hosea, Jeremiah, Isaiah, speaking about God's people. They are the vine. But the second theme, did you notice in each one of those, is the Lord's vine's kind of become wild. It's gone degenerate. It was bearing bad fruit. It was a vine that had gone wild, needed to be rejected, needed to be cut off. And this is the theme, actually, you'll find in a number of Jesus' parables when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A master will plant a vineyard, goes away and while he's away the tenants kill the master's servant they kill the master's son and so he returns the tenants are punished the vineyard matthew 20 right the labor is in the vineyard it's surely an illustration of god's people so jesus you'll actually find is often telling like stories about a vineyard but here in john 15 he's not telling a parable but a teaching the vine in the Old Testament and in Jesus' parables often functions as a symbol of Israel. And often God is angry with his vineyard, with his people. But here's Jesus, John 15, doesn't just pronounce judgment on the vine or threaten to uproot the vine. No, he states in no uncertain terms, now this is putting a different spin on things, he is the vine. He is the embodiment of Israel, all that God's people are and were. Now you have to understand, right, that the people Jesus is speaking to are steeped in the Bible, in the scriptures. You know, sometimes we might think, right, well, these sort of Old Testament allusions that Jesus uses would have just kind of 
gone over their heads of the people whom Jesus is speaking to. You know, well, obviously they could have, right? You know, Nicodemus didn't understand what she should have understood from the Old Testament earlier in John's Gospel. But you have to remember that most of the Jews knew their Bibles better than you know your Bible. You know, even with education and universal literacy, I mean, they didn't have TV, they didn't have movies, their smartphones got really bad coverage, um, they didn't have Formula One Grand Prix to watch, AFL or Married at First Sight. Um, I mean, they had other distractions, right, that would keep them from being in the scriptures. But what they did know, right, they knew the Bible. And so surely they were familiar, right? Vineyard, vine. They're thinking, that's us. Like, that's us. But Jesus says, no, 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 I am the vine. I am the vine. So to be part of the vineyard now is not as what it could have seemed like before, right? Just part of your ethnic heritage. Now Jesus is saying to be part of God's people is chiefly about belonging to Jesus. It's the same point that's made in Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 2, where Paul says, you know, a person, a man is not a Jew outwardly. That's not a true Jew. A a true Jew is one inwardly, circumcision of the heart. To be a real child of Abraham is not just, you know, who your dad is or who your granddad was. The real child, no matter who your family is now, to be part of the family of God, it's not about being ethnically Israel, it's about being in Jesus. Jesus is saying something monumental in John chapter 15. He says, from now on, the decisive characteristic of membership in God's people is to abide in me, says Jesus, to remain in me. In one foul swoop, he kind of just sort of cuts off the vine because they thought they were the vine. And then he gives in the next breath an opportunity for all of them to be grafted back in. You're not, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And if you wanna be part of this vineyard, it's not something you just inherit, you know, 12 Jewish males or disciples because you happen to be Jewish people. No, you must abide in me. And this is why if you're a Bible reader, The church can be called the Israel of God if you go to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 16 because now those who belong to Jesus are the new vineyard because he is the true vine. You might have wondered why we had Psalm 80 read out before we had John 15 read out. I did that because it's a messianic prophecy. It's a a promise that God is going to send his rescuer, his Messiah, to come and rescue his people and rescue people from all the nations. Um, So have a look with me. Um, Psalm 80, it says, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations. You planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took root, filled the land. So that's all about Israel, God's people. And the psalmist goes on to say that he's dealt with them harshly. And beginning in verse 14 of Psalm 80, we read this. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for your son whom you made strong for yourself. They've burned it with fire. They've cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you've made strong for yourself. Then... 
We shall turn back from, back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You see, this is a messianic prophecy written down, given to the, the psalmist hundreds, hundreds of years before Jesus actually came. God is going to uproot his vine. It's become a wild vine. It's rejected its maker. But there is one like a son of man who is coming and he will reestablish the vine. He'll revive the people. He'll restore the vine that God planted, which is what Jesus did. He came to restore Israel, but not just to restore Israel, but to reconstitute Israel around himself so that now what it means to be part of the God's people is more than keeping the law of Moses, more than worshipping in the temple, more than eating and only kosher food, he says scandalously. And they couldn't have fully understood this at the time. To be one of God's people, to be a true member of God's family is to belong to Jesus, to be connected to the vine. And so we should remember that to be true Israel, to be really part of God's family, if we're going to transpose this sort of into our kind of day and age today, our circumstances, it's more than going to church. It's more than having the right church clothes, which I noticed everyone's not wearing the right thing. No, it's more than having the right, more than going to church, more than having the right clothes. It's more than simply memorizing Bible verses. It's more than having the right or biblical beliefs about marriage or the Trinity. To be an Israelite, to be a true Israelite, to be a true member of God's family is to belong to Jesus. And just as there was a danger in the first century, like many of the people in the, in the first century thought, we're in, like Flynn. I've never met Flynn, but like, we're in, like Flynn. You know, we're Jews, yeah? Come on, our family's been doing this. We know the rules. We know how to dress. We know how to say the prayers. We know where to sit. We know what to sing. We are the vineyard. In the same way, right, we might think we're in. Our family's been doing this church thing forever. I've gone to Ancestry.com. We've been part of a church since forever. You know, I know, I know where to sit. You cannot sit in my seat. Please don't do that at City Light Church North Adelaide. We don't have set spots. I know what to do. I know when to sit up and stand. I know, when to, I know where the toilets are. You know, I know what songs to sing. I know what prayers to pray. I've got it. I've got it. Like another sermon. Yes. I've got it, I'm in. Jesus would have a warning for you. Don't assume you're a vineyard. Don't assume you're a vine. You're a vine upon one condition, that you abide in Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? I'm going to give you, this is rare, 20 seconds to turn to the person next to you it's a very nice word, isn't it? Abide. Let's just abide in Jesus. Turn to the person next to you. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Go. Get in quick and someone else can answer the question. 20 seconds. Go. Five, four, three, two, one. 
What does it mean? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Um, some translations will say, um, I think most of our translation would say remain. That's sort of the more modern kind of vernacular, to remain. It's obviously the central word in this text, isn't it? It keeps coming up again and again and again. Um, the Greek word uh, for remain, it's meno. Um, it can mean remain. It can mean abide. And you're going, thanks for that, Jacko. Really helpful. How do we understand that, right? It sounds good. It sounds very spiritual. Man, you just got to abide in Jesus, you know, just abide. That's good. How do I do this? He's not here in the flesh. How do I remain with Jesus if he's not kind of next to me on the pew or on the train or on the bus or driving with me to work? What does it mean? Well, to abide certainly at one level means at least to believe, right? That's the whole aim of John's gospel. John chapter 20, verse 30, 31. Jesus said many other things that are not recorded in this book, but I've written these things that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and by believing in his name, have a life in his name, yeah? So it means at least to believe, but it means more than just to believe. To abide is kind of covenantal, relational language, right? The promise of the Abrahamic covenant, which finds its fullest expression in the New Testament, is that I will be a God to you and you will be my people. When God came to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, it's a purple passage in the scriptures. We came, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. God gave these wonderful promises to Abraham. Just before that, he'd said, pack the kingswood, put your family in it as well, and drive to this place where I'm going. He gets there, gives him these amazing promises. I promise I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you land. And then this third big promise that he said, bigger than all that, I'll be a God to you and your children after you. I'll be a God to you and you will be my people. It's a promise of abiding, a promise of relationship, a promise of his presence amidst his people. To abide with Jesus means he's present with you, in you. You share with him your thoughts, your affections, your intentions, your desires. Let me use a very flawed analogy. I'm just giving you that up front so you can just get set for what's coming. Flawed analogy. But let's say, I, mean, I was talking about this with Stella the other day. She's in high school, right? And you're a high school student and you're very much head over heels for, I don't know, another boy or a girl. And you've had the, the define the relationship talk, whatever that is. You know, and you've, you've gone up to her and you've said, do you like me? And she says, yeah, I like you. And then you say, no, no, but do you, do you like me like me? And she says, yeah, I like you like you, yeah? And you're excited, and you go and tell your friends, man, I'm really into her. And guess what? She's really into me. You know, wow. What do you mean, right, when you say she's really into me or he's really into me? You mean I'm wrapped up in her, I'm wrapped up in him. I enjoy her, I long to be with her. We're into each other, we want to be with each other, we abide. Imperfect analogy, yeah? Abide is spiritual language. Think, are you into Jesus? Are you into Jesus? Would anyone spot in your life and go, man, whew, Something's happened to you. Some, you've met someone, yeah? Anyone say that about you? You know, just like, you know, when your first boyfriend, your first girlfriend, and you meet them and you, your eyes are sparkling. 
don't know, there's like baby unicorns floating around, maybe baby Yoda, I don't know, like just doing stuff. It's just great. Everything's beautiful. Something's different. You're into each other. Brothers and sisters, are you into Jesus? Can anybody see that about you? Abide, very nice word. Good translation, remain. But the question is, are you into Jesus? Because Jesus wants to be into you. Look at verse 4, chapter 15, John's Gospel. Abide in me, I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You see, not remaining in him, not having fellowship with Jesus, not belonging to him and believing in him, that's a really bad thing. Have a look what happens. Verse five, you abide in Jesus, bear much fruit. Verse six, if you don't abide in me, you get thrown away and you get burned up. Jesus says, he has the audacity to say, if you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now, it doesn't mean you can't change a tire on your car when you're wheel goes flat, he doesn't say you can't go to school, you can't learn, you can't get a degree. He really is saying here you cannot do anything with real lasting spiritual significance. It's an audacious thing to say, right? We are so used to it. Most of the things that Jesus says are kind of audacious and grand. But I mean, you wouldn't say that, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. I wouldn't say that. Imagine me saying, here's the secret, brothers and sisters, Here's the secret to your spiritual life. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to be a world-changing believer in the Lord, what you need to do is be really into me. You need to be totally into your lead pastor. Yeah? You need to spend all of your time with me, your pastor. Now, that sounds a little self-serving, doesn't it? Yeah? And it is, unless you're the Messiah. Yeah? You can do nothing, Jesus says. You can do, you can have the Australian dream. You might be able to have a nice family. You might be able to be popular. You might even, if you're into ministry, have a big church. But you can't do anything of real, lasting, eternal significance unless you abide in Christ. You won't bear fruit. If the branches aren't connected to the vine, drawing nourishment from the vine, they're going to be barren. No one will be able to pick your fruit Eat from you, grow in the Lord, you know, come to know the Lord, be satisfied in Jesus. You may even come to church, but if there's no life-giving, soul-satisfying, sweet-tasting, abiding in Jesus, you'll be a bump on a log, and bumps on a log are the kind of dead branches that get lopped off. You see verse 2? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away, withers, gathered, and is thrown into the fire to be burned. I've got to pause here, I think, just for a moment, because this, this might sound like, so Jesus, can I lose my salvation? You know, can I be unjustified? Can I be no longer right with you? Can I be one of your chosen people, and then I don't do enough abiding, and I get sort of unchosen? Well, just to be straight up, No. Clearly that doesn't fit with what Jesus has said in the rest of the gospel, that when you come to him, he'll never cast you out, and whoever believes in him is already in the possession of eternal life. That's not what he's saying. 
But he does mean to tell you and to me, you can have some sort of relationship with the vine and still be cut off because it's covenantal language too. When God made a covenant, if you read through the Old Testament, um, it, it would say in the Hebrew that he would cut a covenant. He would cut a covenant because in some of the covenantal imagery involved literally cutting an animal. But also, what was the covenant sign of the Old Testament people? It was cutting away the foreskin of the male flesh, which was a sign of God cutting away the hardness of heart, but it was also sort of a reverse sign of judgment that you will be cut off if you prove to be one who doesn't remain in the covenant. So listen, Jesus is not saying that people who truly belong to him will ever be cast aside. That is not possible. Those whom he foreknew, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those he justified, he will glorify. The chain cannot be broken. Jesus will not lose one whom the Father has given to him. But here's what Jesus is saying, and the Bible says this in a number of places, and we need to be clear. You can have a covenantal connection to Israel or in the New Testament. You can have a connection to Jesus. You can have a connection to the church. But you can be a fraud. You've got to hear this. got to hear this you must abide in Jesus it's not a matter of just being kind of planted near a vine you know I'm next to my I'm, I'm near my mum's vine or I'm near my dad's vine and they're abiding no it's are you abiding in Jesus in the vine so Jesus is not saying you can lose your salvation what he is saying there are all sorts of people who may in a physical way be connected to the things of God and yet have no spiritual life no spiritual vitality, and end up withering and being thrown into the fire. That's a warning we need to hear. We must remain. We must abide in Jesus. How do we do that? Well, let me give you a few key ways, four key ways, how we can abide in the Lord Jesus. First, Jesus says, if you remain in me, you must remain in his love. If you are to remain in Jesus, you must remain in his love. Uh, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I, I think at the very least that means part of our strategy of abiding in Jesus is to remember how much he loves us. See the connection? The Father has loved me, I love you, abide in my love. There's a connection. How do you do this abiding? Well, part of it is you are regularly reminding yourself and cognizant of how much Jesus loves you. You know, you're never, we're never going to stick with Jesus in the midst of suffering. We're never going to stick with Jesus in the midst of disappointment. We're never going to stick with Jesus in the midst of boredom, which is just part of life, unless we know how deeply Christ is for you and loves you. Notice the language here in verse 13, famously. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Interestingly, right, the Bible never talks about God as our friend. He's king, he's husband, he's father, he's sovereign. He's not called a friend, but we are called his friends. Abraham and Moses, right, they are called friends of God, right, but they don't dial up Yahweh and say, hey, friend, but those who belong to Jesus are his friends. 
I remember hearing Tim Keller in a sermon one time, I think on this passage, he says that we are friends with Jesus because he lets us in. He lets us in. You see, because verse 15, we are no longer servants. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. A servant, you know, just, you know, hears instructions, gets an order, goes and does it. But Jesus says, I've let you in. I've told you. I've been vulnerable with you. I've told you about the Father. I've revealed things to you. You're not a servant. You're not a hired hand. You're my friend. Isn't that part of what being a friend is, right? You could say friends kind of tell secrets to each other. Let people in. I don't know if your best friend is your spouse, your husband or your wife. It's because, you know, you intimately know one another. You know things about each other. You have experiences with each other. You, you do things. You know things that no one else shares. But you have other kinds of friends. I don't know. You know, there's friends who you can just, you know, with a phrase just go, Maccas run 2018. And everyone, they just, just laugh, right? Because, I don't know, you, there was some stu- you threw pickles at the wall or something. I don't know. Don't do that. They're delicious. Like, but, you know, you just, those friends, you just say that one thing and it just, you, you connect, you share something. That's friends. You let each other in. And I think maybe that's why, why God is not called our friends because we have, we don't let him in. God knows everything. But there are those few occasions, Moses, Abraham, friend of God, here we are explicitly called friends of Jesus, Jesus' friends. I don't know, think of a friend, someone who knows you, someone who's walked with you through hard times, spouse, someone you were at, I don't know, college with down here when you're at university, a mentor, a friend. You know, when you have that kind of friend, right, who's been with you, you know them, I mean, I've got friends from all different spots in my life, um, like many of you do. My oldest friend is someone, his name's Jesse. I went to kindergarten with him um, when we were really small. He, we don't live in the same place anymore. We see each other sort of every few years. But we've got friends from all different places. Like, I've got friends from school and friends from Bible, st- uh, Bible college, friends from when I was living in Sydney, friends from all different places, just like you, right? They've walked with you for a long time. Don't you give them the benefit of the doubt? You know, you, they, they say something, doesn't sound quite right. You kind of go, oh, but, you know, we've been together for a long time. They give you some advice and it kind of hurts your feelings and it doesn't feel very good, but they've earned the right to say that to you because of the time you've had together. They do some things once in a while and you think, I can't quite understand why you'd act like that. I what's really going on, you know, I haven't seen you for a little while, but they're your friend and you trust them. How much more then do we trust Jesus, who never lets us down? How much more do we trust Jesus, who never does us wrong, even though we go through those seasons in life where we feel like, I don't really get what God's doing. I don't understand this. It doesn't really make any sense to me. Some of these things are kind of even hurtful to me. I can't make heads or tail of the world around me. Why would God be doing this? But you remember, as the Father has loved the Son, so the Son loves you. Jesus loves you and he's laid down his life for you. You're his friend. He loves you. And get this, he even likes you. Yeah? 
He loves you. But he actually even likes you. You know, I think we get this idea, right, that, you know, that's God. God loves everybody. He, of course he loves me. Have you ever thought about the fact that he, he likes you? He wants to hang out with you? He enjoys you? I, I, sometimes I don't want to hang out with myself, right? Sometimes I don't like me very much. But God likes me. Like he likes me, likes me. And he likes you, likes you. And brothers and sisters, doesn't that help you abide? Doesn't that help you remain in him? Want to be with him? Spend time with him? Come to him with all your flaws and foibles and failures? He's always there. We'll abide in him when we know how much he loves us. We're his friend. Second, if you are to abide in Jesus, his words must abide in you. If you are to abide in Jesus, his words must abide in you. Isn't it amazing, brothers and sisters? Jesus almost equates himself abiding in us to his words abiding in us. Almost equates himself abiding in us to his words abiding in us. History and, and revelation are virtually interchangeable, right? He is literally incarnate revelation. So don't fall into the trap where you say, yeah, man, but I'm just, I'm into Jesus. I'm into the word, capital W, Jesus. And you Christians, right, have your little word. I'm not really into that. I don't worship the Bible. I worship Jesus. Well, okay. We know that. Thanks for coming to City Light Church, North Adelaide today. Great to have you here. Of course, this didn't die on the cross for your sins, yeah? This is not God. But this is the word of God and it bears the character of God and is as divine and as trustworthy as God. So don't separate the word inscripturated from the word incarnated, Jesus in the flesh. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, pick it up, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. Back up to verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He says the two are interchangeable. You want me to abide? Get my words to abide. So there's a very practical way in which we can abide in Jesus. I don't want you to leave here and just think, okay, that's good, but how do I do this? What does this mean? Well, here it is. If you want to drink deeply and intimately and frequently of Jesus, then you must drink deeply, intimately and frequently of his word. Shall I say that again? If you want to drink deeply, intimately and frequently of Jesus, you must drink deeply, frequently and intimately of his word. Can I just say this? Because I don't, I don't presume where you are at in your walk with the Lord. I was just talking to someone this week, rest, yes, um, this week, and we were talking about that habit of, of being in the Word sort of every morning, opening the Bible and waking up and being in the Word. Um, there is no scripture, by the way, that says, you know, hear ye, hear ye, you must have a daily quiet time with the Lord, right? Because, I mean, if you've got a bunch of kids, right, quiet times are an imaginary thing, right? Um, that's why you get AirPods or things and stick them in the ear and just 
noise cancelling, you know, three kid cancelling earphones. Beautiful, right? You just doesn't doesn't quite work like that. It doesn't have to be like this idea of quiet, doesn't have to be quiet. Doesn't have to be like serene on a mountainside, just you and the Lord and the Word, you know, like I don't know, liturgical dancing or something. I don't know. Like, doesn't have to be quiet. Doesn't have to be long, but listen, if you really want, if you are serious about abiding in Jesus, you have to be serious about his word abiding in you. So if, I don't know, if you've never, ever, I'm talking if you're here this morning and you're 12 or 22 or 92, whatever age you have, and you haven't started yet, it's a really good habit to get into. I don't know, a chapter a day, five verses a day, five minutes a day, just something, the habit of every day. Even if you have the busiest stage of your life, something every day with Jesus' words abiding in you. That's how Jesus is going to abide in you. When you put his word into your heart, Drink deeply, drink often from the Bible, and Jesus will abide in you. And it just so happens, I don't work for this organization or this particular app, but there also, there's an app out there called, guess what? Abide. Yeah? Um, it's a great app. Um, you know, it's one of those, you know, apps where you've got to pay for it ultimately. You know, like you go, yeah, 30-day trial, no worries. And then I'm classic where I just then get the heads up. You're going to start getting charged for this. And I'm like, I'll get to that later. And then like six months, it's been racking up. No, um, Abide, great app, in the word every day. You can go long, you can go short, you can go Old Testament, New Testament. You can set it all up. It's, it's a, again, I don't work for them. Maybe I should. No, um, get into it. Um, get God's word. You know, and on that... Just wanted to say as well, like you can do all that, right? You can be in God's word every day and, and, and you can still, I know you can still not feel very close to Jesus. That happens. I want to acknowledge that. You know, people come up to me quite regularly and say, Jacko, I feel dry. I feel dry. Like I, I feel really far from Jesus. My question often to people, in not a, I don't mean to be nasty in this, but like I often say, when was the last time you were re- reading his word? When was the last time you opened the Bible regularly? Well, you know, Jacko, that just that got rote and it felt kind of dry. Well, I'm not surprised that as you stopped regularly being in his word, that Jesus felt farther and farther and farther away. Press through those times where it feels like nothing is happening. Drink deeply of his word. I went through a phase a season um, five years ago where it was very hard for me. Um, I stepped out of ministry for a period of time. Um, Personal sin confessed to the church. I stepped out of ministry, didn't want to be part of what was going on. Um, I was in the wilderness for a long time, and I can tell you, like, I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to read the Word. Didn't want to have anything to do with church. And one of my best mates from Sydney, one of my best friends called me out of the blue one day. He knew what was going on. He said, Jacko, are you going to church? No. Jacko, are you reading the Bible? No. Do you like Jesus? Yes. You know, through gritted teeth. And he said to me, Jacko, you've, you've got to go to church. And you've got to be in the Bible. I didn't want to be in the Bible. I didn't want to hear from God. But you know what? One of the greatest gifts to me is my wife, Adele, And throughout that time where I wanted 
nothing to do with the word, nothing to do with church. Adele would say to me every night, I just wanted to go to bed. I just wanted to pretend like the world didn't exist. And Adele would say, hey, Simon, let's read the Bible. In a nice way, you know, because it's Adele. I'm like, no, don't want to. Simon, let's read the Bible. No. Simon, we're reading the Bible. (laughs) And she read the word to me. And even though I didn't feel it, even though all those things, when we went to church every Sunday, I didn't feel it. I hear the word read, I didn't feel it. But over time, I grew to love it. Love his word. And ever so gradually, grew closer and closer to the Lord Jesus again. Get his word into you. And get his word into you before it's too late in some ways. Not to talk about Adele, this sermon's about Jesus, not about my wife, but Adele's about to run a marathon overseas, you know, this evening, our time. And uh, she's been reading a book, How to Prepare for a Marathon in 106 Days, because that's pretty much all she had. And, uh, you know, you guys love running too, don't you? You read running books. And all the running books will tell you, right, when you're thirsty, it's too late. You're already beginning to get dehydrated. Same thing, I think, with the Lord and, and with his word. When you're thirsty, when you're hungry, you're ready you know, like to get, get ahead, right? Get in it. Before you're thirsty, before you're hungry. And then third, if you are to abide in Jesus, you must keep his commands. We just saw this in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Then down to verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Brothers and sisters, we should not expect to experience God fully apart from cheerful obedience to his commands. Earlier, Jesus says, if you love me, chapter 14, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will what? If anyone loves me, he will what? Sing, praise music when driving in the car? Yeah, well, that's okay. If anyone loves me, he or she will always feel that special, warm, fuzzy, tingling experience flowing through my heart. If anyone loves me, she will always have a mountaintop experience. No, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words. You abide in Jesus. We abide in Jesus by obeying his words. Obeying, abiding is not a passive, quietistic, wait until Jesus makes me feel all gooey and spiritual inside. It is spiritual, right? But it's concrete. You know his love. You abide abide his words. You keep his commandments. And look what happens when you abide in him. You see verse 16? You bear fruit. So you're helpful to others. You display the characteristics of the spirit. People pluck from your life. Mm, mm, That tastes like love. You know, another bit. Mm, Self-control, faithfulness. Oh, it just tastes so good. Another bit of taste, love, peace, joy, patience, self-control. Hanging around you just tastes like kindness. Something about you, fruit of the Spirit, you bear fruit. And look what happens when you bear fruit. So that at the end of the passage, um, go back up to the beginning, verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, uh, removed, taken away, every branch that does bear fruit gets pruned. Good news. 
If you're getting pruned right now, if you feel like this is a season where God is cutting away things, he's trimming things down, he's removing the weeds, good news, it's because you're bearing fruit. If there was nothing there, if you were not a real branch, if you weren't really connected to the vine, if you had no fruit, throws you away, gathers you up. But if you bear fruit, we have that loving but painful experience of being pruned. I'm not much of a gardener, um, but I've taken a likening to the roses in my front yard. Um, I've fallen in love with them, actually. I go out there and we talk to each other. No, um, I go out there and I water them, I feed them, and I put mulch around the bottom so the weeds don't take over and that's the stuff. Um, but at least twice a year, right, because of my love for them, because of twice a year, I have to go out. They're bushy, they're everywhere, and I've got to go out with my big pruning shears and hack them. And in the process of hacking them, I get thorns all through my hands and I get scratches like a cat's gone at me. Like, it's awful. But guess what? The reason I have opportunity to prune them is because why? Because there's life. And so when you have that experience, that painful experience, maybe you've been pruned by the Lord. I don't know, when someone gives you a rebuke, which you go, oh, know that's the Lord pruning you in order for you to bear more fruit. All that because he loves you, he prunes you. And here's the last thing, and then we're done. Um, when you abide, you bear fruit, you get pruned, and then look at verse 11. You get joy. You get joy. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full, complete. This process, right, remaining, growing, pruning, abiding, remaining, growing, and pruning is not so you have pain, but so that you have joy. You need to know this. How do we endure the pruning? How do you get up and read the Bible one more day? How do you keep loving your neighbours? How do you keep doing the hard work of obedience? How do you turn off from all those temptations that give you that instant pleasure? You do it because you're confident that God is for you and wants your joy. He wants you to have life in the vine. He wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to be beautiful flowers and he wants you to have joy if Jesus is the bread of life if Jesus is the light of the world if Jesus is the gate if Jesus is the good shepherd if Jesus is the resurrection and the life if he is the way the truth and the life if he is the vine then even though we do not see him we can as Peter said rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory so here's what I want to ask you last question do you believe that Jesus is the path to true and lasting joy? Do you believe that Jesus is the path to true and lasting joy? Okay, yeah, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Yep. I believe that he is the son of God. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good. That's good. But do you believe he's the path for real lasting joy? Because if that's true, that's going to determine how we live, what we read, how we obey, how we persevere. Because we're confident on the other side, there is joy unending. The true vine is not calling us to a famine. Jesus is inviting you to a feast. Let's pray. Let's pray.
Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the time we've had this morning to reflect upon your Son, the true vine. And it's actually kind of fitting as we're about to sing and then gather again around the table of the Lord and feast on what you've prepared for us. Where we have in the form of bread and juice, we have in tangible form the bread of life and fruit of the vine. Father, we thank you for all that you are and all that you do and all that you will be for us as we abide in Jesus. Father, help us to be people who remain in Christ, who do what he says, remember his love. And thank you, Father, for the inexpressible joy that it is to know Jesus now and that it will be to see him and enjoy him forever in the new creation. Father, help us, we pray, by your spirit to abide in Jesus and to bear fruit for his glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.